My name's Rob Waller, and uh, I'm going to be giving you uh, a first sort of short talk just before we go to break. Um, just amazing, isn't it, to, to sort of come and, and worship God at the beginning. I'm, I'm reminded of that scene from The Pursuit of Happiness, where the, the hero in the film, he's really come to the end of it all. He's homeless, he's depressed, he's got absolutely nothing left to go for. And he walks into this crypt in this church, and there's thousand or so people who have just come hoping for a bed that night, hoping for a roof over their head, hoping for some kind of inspiration. And the minister comes out and he says, you know, we know what to do in times like this. We know what to do in times like this. We sing to God. And he just leads them in this amazing sort of Negro spiritual and these hymns. And it's just so fantastic to sort of come to God, you know, when we're in exile, when we're imprisoned, when we're in pain, when there's pain in the offering, you know, from the rising of the sun, yes, but to the going down of the same as well. And there's, there's something in what we want to try and do today as we deal with some of these difficult issues, just to say we choose to believe that he is good. We, we choose to believe that he is just. We choose to believe that somehow, somewhere, this makes sense. And I think if we can kind of get that deep down and realistic, then we've, um, we've got something of what today is about. And we do, we do want to be giving you some skills, some ideas, some information about some of the common emotional problems, particularly those under 25 are facing. But the big message from me, I think, is, is that this is a heart understanding, if we can get the stance right, if we can get people's acceptance and love and journeying with people, as Ali was saying when she spoke beforehand, we've done 90% of it. The specialist knowledge, we need to go and get that sometimes. And I think it's amazing to see this place absolutely full today. I'm so encouraged that so many youth workers came in. I was joking when we were looking with the bookings, we were talking to the guys from Soul Survivor and they said, all the youth workers book about three days before and I think if you'd waited till about three days before, you might have been short of a seat. And it's, it's so exciting. You know, we looked at the demographics. And yes, there are some people here who, who are church leaders, counselors, who quite often come to some of our events. But we're also seeing the younger people booking early, getting their names down, saying, I want to come to this. You know, Mike Pilavachi, just the quote we had from him on, on the thing is, this is vital for youth workers. And it is vital to sort of come and get information about this because this is a, a growing area that we need to be working into. This is where the questions are being asked in our society today often. And in my day job, I do quite a bit of this. I'm a consultant psychiatrist. I'm privileged to live in the beautiful city of Edinburgh, which is quite a long way away, where my lovely Scottish wife dragged me a few years ago. So, but I'm actually from around here. I'm from New Malden, just on the A3. So I'm not that far away from here, but I've, I've come down today. And for the NHS, I work full-time working with people with severe and enduring mental illness, such as schizophrenia, bipolar, people who are suicidal, people who require inpatient care. But one of the other things I do in my sort of spare time, if that's right, is I'm director of an amazing network. It's not really an organization, a bit of a disorganization sometimes, but we all got here today. It's a network that really kicked off a few years ago, and we've just been doing some things with some amazing partners with Soul Survivor this year, Holy Trinity Brompton last year, Abundant Life Bradford the year before that. We've got some things lined up for 2012, just to sort of put this topic center stage and say, yes, there might be the odd seminar at a conference on it, but we want to put on a whole day. We want to pack the big Christian venues in the country talking about mental health problems and emotions. And I think that's a good thing, yeah? Good. So what I want to do today is just really take you through perhaps what has happened in our country. This is just 
my sort of take on it, um, also through the eyes of a friend of mine. Um, also something about what might lie behind this. The, the theories are as many as the people in this room, but just, just one theory perhaps for you to be thinking about. And also what can we do about it? And one of the things I want to say is that I think youth workers are ideally placed in this. Um, you are equipped to cope. And yes, part of that equipping is coming along today to a day where we are going to give you some knowledge and some skills. But first and foremost, we want to give you an attitude and to sharpen and hone that attitude. And actually, you are the people with the local knowledge and the local time. And that's actually what's really, really important if we're going to get people some help in this. So let's pop the next slide up. Statistics from charity Young Mind say that 6% of people have attempted suicide. This is my friend who's, who's going to help us. Um, depression is in danger of becoming the norm emotion. Depression's almost allowable. It's understandable. You go into schools. It's almost, to a certain extent, trendy. Um, you see public uh, people, celebrities, saying, yes, you know, I, I was in rehab, all that kind of thing. It's, it's almost cool. And I think, you know... When we begin to think about where is depression in our society, how has it got to be there, it's something that's crept up ever since maybe the lid was taken off the emotions in the 1960s. People began talking about their feelings. One of the consequences of that is that people began to say, yes, I am depressed, yes, I am struggling. You know, staggering numbers of people, as I'm going to say later on, are are self-harming, have eating disorders, have substance misuse problems. And I think one of the questions we need to ask is, what has our culture done about it? And I think one of the things we've done is create guys like this. This is Spider-Man. This is a shot from the first Spider-Man movie. And when I was doing my psychiatry training, one of the things I was taught was that an alternative to depression is actually a sort of flight into mania, a flight into fantasy, a denial of reality, some kind of identification with a superhero. I don't know if you've noticed the number of superhero movies that have come out over the past few years. And I think one of those things, people are looking at it and thinking... I want to be living in that kind of reality. I want to have those kinds of powers. I I could have put a scene up from Second Life or people who play World of Warcraft. It was when I was growing up, but there's other computer games around now. This lack of engagement with reality, this flight into an alternative reality. And I have chosen Spider-Man for a reason. Let's put the next slide up. And... I think, those of you who've seen the Spider-Man film, this is Tobey Maguire in Spider-Man 2, it's painfully obvious that Spider-Man has got fairly serious issues. He's not a squeaky clean superhero. He's not like Rocket Man. Is everyone old enough to remember Rocket Man? A few of you were. When I was young, that was what they put on television on loops when they didn't have anything new to show. But Rocket Man was sort of strong and he could sort of leap buildings with a single bound. But, but Superman, Spider-Man has got fairly profound issues. And I think that's really important because when we think about who are we going to identify with, what we do is we identify with someone who's not too perfect, someone who has got some stuff that we can look at and say, well, maybe he's just the guy next door. Maybe he just lives across the fence from Mary Jane. Maybe I could be like him one day. He only just makes it. He fumbles, he bumbles, he gets through. He gets a bit of help from his Aunt May and he saves the world, but he doesn't do so in an amazing kind of way. He does so in a way that says, maybe this is actually what the youth of today are saying. We want a superhero like that who is flawed and is not too perfect. So if you think about it, a lot of our superheroes are pitched to this kind of thing. You've got Batman who's, who's scared of bats. You've got Mr. Incredible who's got serious body image, body image issues and wants to sort of work out and deal with his middle-aged spread. And a lot of the superheroes you've seen today have got that kind of flaw, that sort of brokenness inside them. 
And as for Spider-Man, I don't know where quite I'm going to start with his issues. But let's put the next slide up there. This is just some data from Young Minds, who are a major charity. And this is the kind of stuff they're saying about the problems we're facing in society. 10% have got a diagnosable mental health disorder of some kind. Quite often that's depression or anxiety or something. But that is, that is 10% of people under the age of 25. If you start looking at those in care... Those in social services care, it goes up to about 45%. If you look at people in young offenders institutions, 98% of people in young offenders institutions are going to have some kind of significant mental health problem. So, yes, they perhaps need to be doing some parole and some, 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 some punishment for the crimes that have been committed, but to work in that situation means we've got to understand what's going on inside of people's heads. Um, another way to sort of slice the cake, 80,000 people, 80,000 young people have got severe depression. 8,000 of those under 10 have severe depression. Now, now, when you get down to under 10, depression doesn't perhaps look like it looks like in, in adults. And Kate's going to say something of that in, in her seminar because she does quite a lot working with schools. And how do you help the very young who are depressed, who are struggling with their emotions. How young do these things start? How young does bipolar start? How young does self-harm start? And if you're anything like me, you're sort of amazed that the age groups are sort of dropping and the, 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 the levels are dropping at which we're prepared to say, yes, this person's got a diagnosis. Yes, they need medication. Yes, maybe they need inpatient care. Now, I think maybe sometimes those things are needed, but I'm quite scared that those levels seem to be dropping every single year. 25,000 people are admitted to hospital with self-harm. Um, this is people under the age of 25, quite often through A&E departments. Um, 6% of young adults have actually taken that one step further and actually attempted suicide. There is a difference, I think, between self-harm and attempting suicide, and I'm sure that will be picked up more in the, uh, in the seminar on self-harm, but that's a really important distinction to make. Just because someone is harming themselves doesn't actually mean that they actually want to kill themselves. There is a distinction there, and spotting when to get really worried when someone might be in danger of ending their life is an important skill to have. And also, more than half of adults with mental health problems had them in childhood. There's been some big longitudinal studies following people up over 25, 30 years, looking at what were the problems when people were growing up. Also, what were the protective factors? And the good news is most of these things are modifiable. Most of these childhood factors are modifiable. It's, it's about friendship groups, it's about doing well in school, it's about being part of a community, it's about having a faith or spirituality or some kind of other. Most of these things are modifiable. You know, the situation is not lost. If we can start working now in this generation, then we can be doing something which will change the generation of tomorrow. And boy, do we need to do that. Just, just pop the next slide up there. This is an embarrassing slide for the UK. This is um, looking, a study by UNICEF looking at the world's most developed nations. And I, I know you can't read the, the letters down the side there, but basically that's every country in Europe plus the USA. And what it shows is that overall childhood well-being is lowest in the UK out of any country in Europe, even slightly lower than the United States. And I think that is quite embarrassing because that is not where we should belong according to the amount of funding, according to the history we've got in working in this country, and also our sort of G8 status, whatever that means. And I think another important message for you today is that the government looks at stuff like that and thinks our current programs are not working. Whatever we're doing at the moment, it might be good, but it's not working. It's either it's not the wrong thing or it's not big enough or something. And we have got here in this room today 600 people who are passionate to make a difference. That's almost more than the number 
number of youth workers that the government employs up and down the country. Okay, so, so just in this room, we have got a huge resource who can actually go out there and make a vast amount of difference. And I think the government are interested in what organisations like Soul Survivor and like Mind and Soul are doing in this area because they know they haven't got the answers to these problems. And just the next slide, this is another sort of theory. There's lots of theories going around the block at the moment as to why we are in that position. Is it because we um, are poor? No, of course it's not. Is it because we, are, we have a lack of structure or resources at our availability? No, it's not. What, what this size shows is it shows the relationship between income inequality and death rate. Not young people, this is just anybody. And, and what this slide shows... It, it, to the references there if you really, really want to look it up. But basically what it's saying is it's saying it's not so much the wealth of the country that is the important thing. It's the income inequality. It's the difference between the rich and the poor. It's the two sides of the tracks. It's, it's, the, it's the disharmony, the lack of justice that's going on in societies that is one of the big drivers for mortality. And I couldn't find as pretty a picture, but those numbers are borne out also in studies looking at mental health and about emotions. The more the economic inequality, the more emotional and mental health problems there's going to be in our society. It is a very much a matter of love your neighbour, because if you don't love your neighbour, then it might cost you your life. And um, bringing us back to Spider-Man, pop the next slide up... Um, this might explain why Spider-Man's got so many issues, issues to work on. He was someone who was born into an economic, economically unequal situation. Okay, next slide. So we've got this sort of young guy who's, who's kind of got issues and he, he's looking up to James Franco and saying, what can I do about this? But, and he's also the kind of superhero that people can identify with. But one of the problems is when you create that kind of sort of weak, slightly broken, slightly limping kind of superhero, it's unstable. It's fundamentally an unstable situation. And I was saying that, you know, ever since we took the lid off emotions in the 1960s, things have begun to unravel. That um, Bernard Shaw, Virginia Woolf, other people in, in the Bloomsby group who were starting out experimenting with, with sexual freedom, not, not Bernard Shaw, it's someone else, my apologies, it'll come to me, but they're experimenting with sexual freedom and they, they set this up as an experiment. And the idea was that they would try sexual freedom for a two-year period and move outside of the normal Victorian norms of marriage. And then at the end of two years, they would stop the experiment and see which was better, free love or love within marriage. And they got to the end of two years, and they had a jolly good look, and they thought, it's been a disaster. Half of us have taken our lives as a result of the experiments that we've tried. And they tried to stop it. And they would have stopped the experiment. They would have found the experiment to say, no to free love. We need to go back to how we did it before. But the lid was off, the, the, the cork was out the bottle, so to speak. And that was one of the big drivers behind the sexual revolution, behind the increase in emotions, behind the increase in the prevalence of depression. The cork is out the bottle because when you start talking about this kind of stuff, it gets unstable, it grows legs, not as many as spiders, but it grows legs and it, it begins to take over. And that's what happens in the Spider-Man films, is we saw this sort of we went from a sort of weak, fragile guy to almost this sort of anti-hero kind of character, this logical outworking of the human condition as this guy, clad entirely in black, began to form inside the Spider-Man. He almost had created his own superhero inside his own skin to do with it, deal with his own issues, if that makes sense. And this guy was strong and brave and could accomplish things, but was also evil and dark. And I think when we begin thinking like this, it should make all of us think, well... What lies beneath 
this increase in depression? What lies in our own hearts? What is my true nature? Am I fearful of the power I have? One of the big questions in, in suicide and self-harm is the question, I could kill myself. And that is a very, very powerful thing. You know, suicide is the ultimate act in some ways. And that is a huge question. I think when we began talking about these kind of questions, it should scare us. These are scary questions, worrying questions. What happens when we create an anti-hero? And they are ultimately depressing questions. And just put the next slide up. I'm not quite sure where this is going in the Spider-Man films. Um, Spider-Man 4, you may or may not know, um, it starts filming next week, and there's a slightly more buff Andrew Garfield on the right there who's going to be taken over from Tobey Maguire. But the plot's being kept strictly under wraps, and I'm not exactly sure what the plot's going to be in Spider-Man, but the subtitle of Spider-Man 4 is Choice, Destiny, Sacrifice, Carnage. And it suggests to me that, you know, in Spider-Man 4, the trilogy is going to completely unravel. The wheels are going to come completely off. The world is going to be destroyed. You know, man and Spider-Man, death to everybody. And it's all going to go horribly wrong. And I think that's where the Spider-Man trilogy logically takes us. So it's really important, just the next slide, to think what brings light into that situation. What brings light into the Spider-Man films? And... Again, I don't know how much you know about the Spider-Man films, but the, the soundtracks, particularly to Spider-Man 2, a lot of the soundtrack music were done by an American band called Switchfoot. And Switchfoot, an amazing band, they're, they're chart toppers in the US, they are very much you know, number one, number two kind of band in the US at times, but they're also absolutely fired up Christians. And they were looking and they were writing the lyrics of the Spider-Man film, and th- this is what the title track to Spider-Man 2 says. Fumbling his confidence and wondering why the world has passed him by hoping that he's meant for more than arguments and failed attempts to fly. We were meant to live for so much more. Have we lost ourselves? Somewhere we live inside. Somewhere we live inside. And that's the music that that, that Switchfoot put to the Spider-Man films. And I think they've got it much better. Somewhere we live inside. We've got to try and get ourselves inside the psyche, try and understand what is going on. And I think that's why it's absolutely so important to have all you guys here today who are saying, well, we want to bring a spiritual aspect of the problem. Just pop the next slide up. We want to bring a spiritual dynamic to what's going on. And there are so many questions, so many theories, as I say. I mean, I've spent 15 years studying the theories and the background to all of this. And we do want to share some of that with you today. These cartoons are by a guy called Asbo Jesus, a friend of mine, John Birch, who who blogs often about young people and also about mental health problems. We're going to be telling you a bit about some psychology and actually saying, you know, good psychology and a good psychologist to remove some of the barriers, some of the vicious circles that keep people trapped in very obvious ways. And that's not something that we should be scared of as Christians. It is just ultimately common sense slowed down a bit enough so people can get hold of it. We're also going to be talking about the place of secular mental health services and councils and social services and you know, occasionally the role of, of medication. I'm going to be doing a, a seminar this afternoon. And the, the vital importance of the social structures that our government gives us for, for housing, for food, for benefits when people who are homeless, starving and penniless. And all of that is really, really, really important. But all of that happens in the context of that graph I showed you where the UK is at the bottom. They are a helpful and they are an important part of the answer. But we do need a spiritual dimension. Just pop the next slide there. We think as well as the basic needs, we think that people also need to know the why is this going on. Not just the how of, well, yes, I can see that 
I became depressed because of this, that, and the other. They want to ask some of the big why questions. They, they want to know the, the who questions. They don't want to necessarily know about their brain biochemistry or you know, their cognitive maps or things like that. They want to know, who am I? And I think ultimately they also want to know what next, you know, what's going to happen. I'm scared of these feelings inside myself. I'm scared of the possibility that I am drinking myself into oblivion because I have some kind of insight into that. I'm scared of the fact that I'm cutting myself and I could cut deeper and deeper and deeper. I'm scared of the fact that because of what's happened, I'm asking questions about the big things in the universe. And that's why the spiritual bit is, is so important. Young people are not demonized. You know, no matter what society or what religious people think, young people are not demonized. And I guess all of you guys who are coming here today have got a passion for working with young people. They are not people with hoodies. That's not what's going on. I think we are all beyond that. But the next step beyond that is to say, as well as the biological, the psychological, and the social approaches, they need that spiritual aspect to their assistance. And just pop the last slide up. So one of our tasks today is, is to try and bring hope to a city like this, to bring a spiritual answer to some of these kind of problems that are going on. And I think at this point we have to sort of stop that, stop and think this city is huge, absolutely huge. I mean, I, I live in Edinburgh. You can drive from one side of the Edinburgh to, to the other in about, in about 20 minutes. And I've just been spending the week in London going on the tube and driving here today. And London is absolutely massive. It's vast. You know, I was in Kingston. And Kingston is its own town, its own city. You know, you don't have to be in London. You can just be in Kingston. It's an absolutely massive place. And you guys are probably there not as specialists, just as people who are sort of jobbing youth workers, trying to work this out. You might come from small churches. You might come from small youth groups. But actually, that is your strongest card to play. That is the most important thing that you can play. Yes, it's great to come along to events like this and get some skills and some knowledge, but actually the most important thing is local things for local people, to be passionate alongside people, as Ali was saying. And yes, it is good to have people who are trained to a high level, but actually if we don't have the youth workers, if we don't have the pastoral support to work alongside people, to walk alongside people, to to mourn with those who mourn, to walk through the valley of death with people, who's the Holy Spirit? He's the, the parakletos, the one who is alongside us in the dark places. We have to have that. Now, I'm a, I'm a psychiatrist in my, my day job, and as a psychiatrist, I know that I do not have time to stop and to listen to people's stories. And that might surprise you because you might think that's what a psychiatrist does. But actually, most of my role is the planning and the organizing of people's care, medical, legal aspects, insurance, those kinds of things. I do not have the time to get to know all of my patients well. And I'll tell you this, I am so thankful when someone turns up with a friend or a family member or someone from the local church or just uh, someone who they've been talking things through because it means that I don't have to, to make all of the decisions. I don't have to carry all that responsibility. And it might be months before I see that person again. And Actually, the person who they need to see is the person who they can see each week, the person who they can talk to each week. And you guys are skilled and equipped to do that. Yes, I've been doing this for 15, 20 years or so. Other people giving this are very much the experts. And I'm, I'm so glad that people are given freely of their time today to come and give you some amazing talks. And I think it will be a great conference. But please do not feel de-skilled. This is the time to demystify this. You need some skills, but you guys are where it's at. You've got God, 
you've got people, you've got time, you've got the local knowledge. And I think that youth workers in the local church are perfectly placed to help the city one day at a time, one life at a time, and one heart at a time. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. It's inspiring, isn't it? We are all at Mind and Soul. We are really passionate about the role that the church can play in emotional and mental health and supporting young people and old. And, you know, I have a little girl. She's nearly six, and we were chatting the other day. Just a few things have happened to in families and people that she knows that have been really sad and really tough. And she turned to me and she said, Mummy, will it ever get better? Will, will it ever change? And I was so glad that I could say to her, yes, Dals, because, you know, we have God. And one day all this will change and there will be no more crying and no more mourning and no sorrow, no pain. And we praise God for that. But in the meantime, the Bible teaches us that the kingdom of heaven is so close, it's at hand. And I strongly believe that as the church, as youth workers, as just normal people, we can bring a little bit of Jesus to people who so desperately need that. So thanks for coming. You know, do spend the rest of today, find out some good information. But at the same time, let's remember that ultimately, the person who changes people's lives is God, it's not us, which I'm so grateful for because a lot of the problems that come into my, through my door are things that I couldn't possibly help myself. But we know that Jesus can, so that's fantastic. And one thing I want to say is that if you would like at any point today to receive some prayer, to have some time just to sit and think quietly, maybe chat some stuff over with somebody, there is a welfare room which will be running at lunchtime, so there will be some space for you to do that. And um, just before lunch, I'll let you know where that is and make sure that you know where to go for that. So if you would like some prayer, there will be some time and space to do that. What's going to happen now is that we've got a coffee break. Hooray, yes. Okay, coffee break for a half an hour. Now, we, we wanted to give you a decent long time, not just for you to get caffeined up so that you don't fall asleep in the sessions before lunch, but because we've got some fantastic stalls and stands, loads of brilliant organisations who can support you, resource you, and help you out as you're doing this. So, there, there's a couple of stands in here, but if you haven't found the other warehouse yet, then go through, go out and round or through the doors by the cafe there, and...